Welcome to Ask NRCAN, our podcast series where we sit down with our experts to talk about an aspect of the work they do here at Natural Resources Canada. Today we'll be looking at marine geohazards, which are geological events like earthquakes, tsunamis, and landslides that occur underwater. For those of you who are new to the show, we call this series Ask NRCAN because we want to hear from you. The purpose of the show is to share with you not only the type of science we do, but also why we do it. So, at the end of the episode, if you have any questions on this topic, head to Twitter and tweet at us using the hashtag AskNRCAN. Our expert will do his or her best to answer all relevant questions. Sounds good? Let's do it! My guest today is research scientist Alexandre Normando. Alexandre, thank you for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. You study marine geohazards, correct? Yes, exactly. Can you explain to us what are marine geohazards and what kind of research you do specifically? So marine geohazards are any type of geological uh, events uh, or conditions on the seafloor which can threaten uh, marine infrastructure or life. Um, so you can just think of earthquakes, for example, that triggered tsunamis, or uh, in some cases you can also see some marine landslides that can also trigger tsunamis, but it can also um, damage the seafloor and whatever is on its path on the seafloor. But it's not just some marine landslide and earthquake, those are more the ones that we, we know of, um, but there's also uh, iceberg scoring, for example, uh, scouring. So for example, an iceberg uh, discharged from Greenland can travel around Baffin Bay and uh, can ground on the seafloor, and if there's something on the seafloor at that place, uh, then it can damage uh, these, these infrastructure. So there's a different range of uh, geohazards like that that we see, but my main focus is related to submarine landslides and all the forms of submarine landslide that exist. Um, I also study turbulent currents. So turbulent currents are more like a snow avalanche, but instead of having snow, it's sand and mud uh, that's traveling on the seafloor. But it's very similar. You can imagine the snow avalanche under the, the water, uh, replace the snow by the mud, and it's exactly the same, same thing. What kind of work do you do? Do you do um, mathematics surveys or...? Yeah, so essentially uh, every year, uh, once or twice a year, we go out at sea on, on ships, um, different kinds of ships. Sometimes we go on little ones, sometimes we go on the big Coast Guard vessel ones. Um, the one that you probably all know of is the Amundsen, uh, which is on the $50 bill. Uh, so that's a science ship that we use sometimes. Um, but our main ship at BIO, the Bedford Institute of Oceanography, is the Hudson. And we use that one mostly to go out at sea. And we collect some bathymetric surveys. So we uh, precisely measure the depth of the seafloor. And we can image the seafloor just like you do when you go on Google Maps or Google Earth. And so using that, you can identify landslides on the seafloor. And then we also do some sub-bottom surveys, which allows us to see the layers of sediment below the seafloor. And that allows us to see if there's been some certain landslides in the past uh, instead of only at the seafloor. So it gives us an idea of recurrence of submarine landslides. And then once we have this, this baseline information, which is really important to see where are those geohazards, then we collect some sediment cores, which can be anywhere from one meter to 50 meter um, long. And uh, we use those sediment cores then to date the layers of sediment and then to date precisely the age of the landslides. And that allows us to have a better idea of the recurrence of those, those hazards. So it's not just looking back in the past, but also at potential landslides in the future? Potentially. So it's, it's essentially establishing a recurrence of these landslides to see if there's a likelihood of having some landslides in the future in a, re, uh, a region. Why is it important to study and monitor earthquakes and submarine landslides? 
So the main thing is that um, when we monitor earthquakes, submarine landslide, we have to understand that they can trigger uh, tsunamis. Um, and that's the main uh, problem in the Arctic. So uh, one of the great example of the dangers of these types of, of events uh, happened just last year uh, across uh, Baffin Island in Greenland, where there was a uh, terrestrial landslide, so coming from a fjord sidewall, and that fell into the water. Uh, when it fell into the water, there was a 75-meter-high tsunami wave that uh, was triggered right on the other side of the fjord. And then that wave dissipated offshore, uh, to uh, one to four meters, but that one to four meters um, affected a village uh, in Greenland, and four people went missing and are still uh, not found uh, to this date, uh, to my knowledge anyways. So um, probably four deaths uh, like that due to a uh, landslide that, that occurred um, in a fjord. So that's one thing that, that we really need to understand that is uh, in Baffin Bay, in Baffin Island, the geology, the, the fjords are very similar to the ones in Greenland, so it's something that can happen and maybe have happened, has happened in the past, but we uh, don't have the information yet because we don't have the, the science yet to, to understand it. So we need to go to these fjords and understand if there has been some events like those before. Um, and there's also been some, some reports by the local community. So for example, in Pangnachtern, um, there's been some reports of waves uh, one, two meter waves affecting uh, one of the islands. So what, what triggered that? Is it a submarine landslide? Is it, is it something else? We don't know. So that's the kind of thing that we need to, to go in Baffin to, to understand. And one, one of the most important thing for that is, uh, in fact, mapping the seafloor. So I read somewhere online there's also like internet cables are actually under the seafloor. Uh, under the oceans. Yep. Uh, is that the kind of infrastructure you're talking about as well, beyond oil and gas? Yeah, exactly. So between, uh, if we take, for example, between Nova Scotia and, uh, and Europe, there's a number of internet cables um, that can be broken, and that have been broken in the past. Um, uh, so it's also uh, just a communication cable. So, for example, in 1929, this is the most known example, um, there was a landslide that was caused by an earthquake, that uh, severed uh, dozens of, of submarine cables um, and broke the links between Europe and, and, um, and here, and it also triggered a tsunami. And it's important also to, to remember or notice that these submarine landslides have, have absolutely no equivalent on land. Like, they are orders of magnitude larger. Um, one submarine landslide that we just discovered in 2012 and that we, st we studied until uh, this year um, is 15,000 kilometers square. That's twice the size of Prince Edward Island, or it's wow. the size uh, closer to here, Ottawa. It's the size of Georgian Bay. So it's gigantic submarine landslide that you can see on the seafloor. And so anything that's crossing the path of these landslides uh, can be destroyed by, by these landslides. So you mentioned something about uh, um, communities in the north being affected by this. Have you worked with those communities to try to find ways to mitigate risks? Yeah, so one important part of the research we do in the north is uh, community engagement and going to these communities. Now, I've, I've been at the Geological Survey for two and a half years now, so this project, um, the Baffin Bay project, has been ongoing since 2011. Um, so people before me, colleagues at the Bedford Institute, has been working on, on community engagement for, for longer than I have. Um, but it's important to go and get... Um, and get to know what these, what the, the Inuit people know about geohazards, uh, the traditional knowledge, 
also to get their insight in what is, seems important to them in terms of the science that we need to do, and also then to report back uh, when we go uh, after our research. So for example, for the cruise that we had last uh, summer, um, there were some community engagement uh, tours done beforehand, and then during the cruise we also went to the communities and brought some people on board to visit the ship and visit the science that we were doing, and we're aiming to go back in March of 2019 to report back on the results that, that we found uh, during this last cruise and during the, the last few years that we've been studying marine geohazards. What are the challenges of conducting scientific work on a vessel in the Arctic? So the, the main challenge um, is uh, weather conditions. Um, and weather conditions are always changing, ocean conditions, uh, storms coming in, coming out. And we need to adapt to those because we can't work if, there's too, uh, if the waves are too rough or too high. Um, so there's a lot of the equipment that we use that is relatively fragile, where above two or three meter waves, then it becomes dangerous uh, for the equipment, but mostly for, for us, the people that are working on board to use the equipment. So because of that, then we have to adapt and change plans and do other things. So when we go out at sea, we, we have a plan, a very precise plan at first, um, on where to core, where to take uh, some multi-beam bathymetric surveys and stuff like that. But when you arrive at sea, then almost for sure you will change that plan. And you need to have plan A's and plan B's and, and C's and, and so on um, so that you can adapt to those situations. So that's something that happens a lot. You plan on going, uh, for example, to a fjord, but then the weather conditions doesn't allow you to reach that place, so you have to have a plan B to say, okay, well, let's go at this other place then instead. Um, so that's probably the main challenge. Um, second challenge is these crews are always collaborative. Um, it's rare that you will go out at sea and do only one thing. So, for example, on our cruise, uh, the main goal was to study marine geohazards, but it was a collaborative cruise also with another under program, uh, with the program uh, GEM, uh, from the Geological Survey of Canada. And uh, so there was 20% of the time that was also assigned to do some gem work uh, for, for oil seeps uh, on the seabed. And then there's all, also a collaboration that we had with DFO, Department of Fisheries and Oceans, to um, study the water column. So we need to, um, to plan accordingly where everyone can come out of the cruise happy and, and with the data that they need for, for their own science. And that's something that we always need to take into account when we're doing uh, the work. Um, the other thing, and we were very lucky on, on our cruise, um, is uh, this, the, this, the ship crew also needs to understand that we, we uh, are changing, const constantly changing our, um, our, our, our cruise plan because of the uh, weather conditions or also because sometimes some operations take longer than, than expected and then we don't have time to do what was planned on the cruise plan. And so we say, well, okay, since we don't have time to do this, then we'll go on to plan B and do this other uh, thing instead. And uh, so we've been lucky with, with our crews, at least the, the, the ship the Hudson crew were, were very uh, understanding of that and, and allowed us to have a very successful cruise. This is all very interesting. Thank you so much, uh, Alex, for your, your time today. Thank you. So this is the end of the episode, but like always, it doesn't mean it's the end of our conversation. If you have any follow-up questions for Alex Sound, get on Twitter and tweet at us using the hashtag AskNRCAN. Also, if you're interested in learning more about the scientific work that we do here at Natural Resources Canada, check out our online magazine called Simply Science. We have a ton of great content for you, including articles, videos, and previous episodes of this podcast. 
If you check out our podcast page for this episode, we'll have links available to any relevant material so that you can learn more about marine geohazards. The best way to find Sipley Science is either to Google it or click on the banner from our website at nrcan.gc.ca. And if you like this episode and you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or SoundCloud, please consider subscribing so you can check out any previous or future episodes. I think that's it for us today. Thank you for listening. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll see you next time.